Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I am co-host and producer of the show, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. And today, our topic is Mindfulness for Peaceful Hearts and Minds. I'm delighted to be joined today by Mark Coleman, the author of Make Peace with Your Mind, Awake in the Wild, and the book we will be discussing today, From Suffering to Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. Mark is the founder of the Mindfulness Institute and has an MA in Clinical Psychology. Mark has guided students on five continents as a corporate consultant, counselor, meditation teacher, and wilderness guide. He lives in Northern California. You can find out more about Mark Coleman, his books, and teaching schedule at markcoleman.org. Welcome, Mark. I am so delighted that you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you. Very happy to be on your show. So before we begin our dialogue about mindfulness for peaceful hearts and minds, let's actually start by practicing mindfulness for just a few moments. Let's have a, a, just a brief moment of meditation. Oh. So let's start by just feeling our bodies in space. Whatever we're doing, you can take a moment just to feel the surfaces or, uh, that support us. Feel our feet on the floor. If we're sitting, feel the support of the chair. Just feel our bodies in space. And then let's turn our attention to our breath wonderful tool that is always with us and just notice as we take a fully conscious breath as we inhale and exhale as we inhale feeling the cool air in the nostrils and as we exhale feeling the warm air flowing out Not trying to change the natural rhythm of our breath, but just noticing. Feeling all the parts of our body that move as we breathe, feeling our ribs lift. And feeling them fall. 
Feel our belly relax and fill on the inhale and feeling it soften on the exhale. Just being, just being with our breath. And as we remain focused on our breath, sometimes a thought or feeling may arise. And we realize we can just notice it, just notice it as it arises. And notice it as it passes away. Returning our focus to the breath. Just breathing. And as we experience this moment of just being, just being with our breath, feeling that peace that arises, Realize we can access this any moment of the day, anywhere we are. It's always with us. Om, peace, peace, peace. Once again, Mark Coleman, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Thank you. Great to be here. <clears throat> I've really enjoyed reading the, the new book, your new book, From Suffering to Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. And in the book, you share your own spiritual journey. So would you share the story of how you first found mindfulness meditation? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So I was a young man, a very unhappy, troubled, uh, anxious young man and um, I grew up in the north of England, moved to London, got involved in the punk scene and the anarchy scene and was quite politically active in the squatting movement, taking over abandoned houses. And um, I was searching and uh, thought it was, you know, trying to find my answers through politics and social action and but really didn't address the the emotional and mental uh, dis-ease I was feeling. And I happened to kind of stumble upon a Buddhist meditation center that um, was in the East End of London, which was a rare thing back in the mid eighties. Uh, Buddhism was not that uh, you know, widespread and, and mindfulness was basically almost unheard of. And um, I walked into the center and as one can, when you go into a place where people have developed done, done some mental training and some some heart development, there was this quality of presence and um, stillness and something about them really intrigued me. And so I, I, was, I, I took a meditation class, learned mindfulness practice and loving kindness practice, which has been my two sort of foundational practices the last 35 years. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and what was what struck me was how meditation helps provide the lens in which to understand your own mind and heart and body yes. and to see where you're adding to your suffering rather than actually freeing mm. yourself from it. Mm. Wow, very beautifully said. So what's the, the biggest impact you feel mindfulness and meditation in general has made in your life? Well... Having done it for 35 years, that's a hard question since it's very much part of the fabric of, of me and who I am. Right. Um, but I would say uh, at this point, the greatest uh, support and has been to um, the ability to abide in awareness that has the innate capacity to know our experience and to be disentangled from uh, reactivity and so one can abide in a certain inner peace despite outer challenging circumstances and difficulties yes indeed I, uh, I notice when my own meditation practice is um, active um, that space I just really enjoy that space you know that opens up that uh, ability to um, meet things uh, and not be as reactive and that when my meditation practice is not as active I you know catch myself in those moments of reactivity that make me then want to just go back <laughs> rededicate myself to practice right. so your book uh, from suffering to peace discusses mindfulness in the context of many experiences of daily life which is one of the things I really appreciate about the book um, one of the reflections that I enjoyed was in Chapter 5, Meeting Aging with Kind Awareness. And this is from the section of your book, Finding Peace in the Body. You write, one of the things that is self-evident about our body is that from birth to death, it's always changing. This is, of course, obvious, but we are often willfully blind to the truth of change, especially when it comes to ourselves. So you shared a great story that I enjoyed that I could relate to about when you first got glasses. Uh, would you share that story uh, with our listeners? It's from uh, the page 52, if you need the reference. Right. Yeah. So um, like many of us, um, you know, we tend to be a little bit in denial that we're aging, including uh, at some point the, the eyes start to decline. <clears throat> For me, it was in my mid to late 40s. And... Um, so one, just the, the humor of that. I mean, in, in fact, I showed up at it to give a talk, a lecture on the book last week at a, at a meditation class, and I showed up with the wrong magnification glass, so I had to borrow <laughs> glasses from the audience so I could actually read the quotes from the book, which is sort of ironic. Yeah. And it speaks to your, your question about, yes, yeah, so in the, in the book, I it finally succumbed to some glasses and then I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, I've really aged <laughs> since I last really looked. There's more wrinkles, there's more gray hair, there's less hair. And uh, it was sort of both comical and, and uh, a surprise to see, all oh, right, that's, that's how delusion runs. It's like we walk around with, you know, opaque glasses, so we don't mm. really see the truth. And when we do, it's quite alarming, which is mm -hmm. often why we choose to be unconscious, because we don't want to actually wake up to the truth. But of course, if we don't do that, we end up causing ourselves much more suffering in the long run by denying. 
Yes, yeah. absolutely. But uh, anyway, that story, it just, it just totally made me laugh and, and uh, with recognition, with self-recognition. So um, one of the things I, I've really been enjoying about reading your book is also just noticing all the areas where, you know, yoga philosophy and Buddhism and mindfulness just really interact. And uh, one of the three central practices of Kriya Yoga is uh, self-study which includes a study of spiritual texts as well as asking questions such as, uh, who am I? And uh, I find that oftentimes when people really haven't really reflected on the question, they can associate themselves with their physical body. You know, there's something about me, you know, I am this body. And when you actually start to question that, it's like our, our bodies really are, are constantly changing. So if I'm my body, like which body would that be? You know, <laughs> the body when I was five, you know, my body, you know, 10 years ago, my body now. So um, I really enjoyed the mindfulness exercise as you include with each chapter, you include mindfulness exercises to uh, illuminate that. So would you share the practice from page 54 with our listeners? Um, you have to remind me what that that exercise. I'd actually, I actually don't have the book. In front oh, okay. So it's, it's just a way of looking so. looking in the mirror. You know, just all of the you know the the ways that we can look in the mirror and watch our own reactions. Yes, yes, yeah. This is a very powerful practice, as you say. Um, you know, we do tend to very strongly identify with the body, often sadly negatively, we, because of all the, the the stereotypical images in society of how our body how society thinks our body should look. And because of that, when we look in the mirror, we tend to look um, with a distorted lens, usually with a negativity bias. And we tend to look at all the things that are wrong, that we don't like, that are problematic, that we wish were different. And so we actually very rarely see what we're looking at. Our perception is filtered by our you know, biases and conditioning. And so it's a really interesting practice um, with the body or with anything actually to, uh, in this case, look in the mirror and, and just simply uh, uh, take a look at the, at, the, at, at the physicality of our body. So we you do this uh, without clothes and um, just looking like you might, like I'm teaching a nature retreat right now and I'll have people stand next to a tree and study a tree. We tend to not do that with our own body because we feel judgment or reaction or shame or whatever. And so it's actually very um, both healing and instructive practice to simply take our physicality in that our body is as beautiful and as perfect as it is, however it is. And um, uh, when also the, the, there's two parts of reflection. One is just simply seeing without that negativity, distortion or bias. And then the second facet of the practice is, you know, as you're pointing to with the reflection, who am I? Am I this body? Right? We certainly inhabit this physical form. We need to take care of it and love it and feed it and cherish it. Um, but, um, you know, when we close our eyes in meditation, for example, you know, it's very obvious that this body is actually, well, not even in meditation, but at any time we can see this, you know, cluster of sensations and experiences come and goes, come and goes. And um, who we are is much more, can't be limited to this physical form. 
So, and that can be a helpful and profound insight, given that we so associate and identify the body as who we are, which tends to lead to suffering and, and constriction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the part of um, mindfulness practice uh, that I also enjoy is then watching my own, you know, reactions and uh, seeing, you know, where I have those judgments and seeing, um, you know, my reaction. Just you know, the watching your reaction and and uh, again, self study. It's such a rich practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the other f- way, another sort of layer of that um, that sort of comes later in the book is, you know, can we also stand in the mirror or or just being present to our physical experience and also holding it with a kind attention, with a loving attention, with with yes. appreciation and gratitude for the wonders and mystery and amazing reality that the body is, how it functions all by itself and processes and eats and perceives and knows and heals all by itself. I mean, that, you know, if, if we, it's important for us to see the miraculous nature of the body rather than, you know, what we think is deficient or lacking. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about mindfulness, and so you know people, you know, may have somewhat of an idea. But I, I did want uh, to ask you uh, more just about mindfulness. So in the book, you talk about the wide, widespread current application of mindfulness, and also express some concern that the depth and scope of mindfulness might be diminished as the practice is spread more widely. So, what's your definition of mindfulness? So my definition, I have several. It's one of those words uh, that's hard to define. Um, but my simple definition is clear awareness, mm. the simple knowing of experience moment by moment. And the longer definition is uh, it's awareness of our physical, emotional, mental, and environmental experience with clarity, curiosity and kindness in service of understanding and wisdom. <laughs> That's the long mm. definition. But basically, <laughs> it's simple awareness, clear knowing of what's happening. So as, as your listeners are listening to this conversation, mindfulness is simply that the, the capacity to hear and to know that listening's happening, that thinking's happening, that sitting's happening, that maybe mental processing is happening. Um, knowing our experience moment by moment with a quality of curiosity uh, and interest. Mm. Ah, so it's a, it's a lovely, although complex definition, you know, mindfulness. That's great. I think it's um, oftentimes people might say uh, just being present. Um, and yet your definition points to, you know, more than that, more than just presence in that it includes the, you know, the non-judgmental, um, aspect and the uh, awareness of our reactions. Right. Yeah. And I think the, the, the reason I wrote the book from suffering to peace is because, um, you know, as mindfulness has exploded in the same way that yoga exploded, um, in the eighties and the nineties and still now, um, the challenge when anything grows that quickly, particularly in a consumer culture is it becomes commodified it becomes to, to scale something. It, it becomes simplified, mm-hmm. and um, and so often the the original essence is has gets missed 
for the sake of that scaling and, and, and also in research because so much of the reason mindfulness has grown is because there's so much great neuroscience research on the efficacy of the practice. But the challenge with that is when you grow something that quickly, uh, my concern has been, and I've been very much part of the mindfulness growth in teaching in you know, business and healthcare and education and government, is that the, the original essence and context and depth uh, is often lacking. And, and I see the same in, in many uh, yoga uh, situations where the, the original essence you know, of really being a support for training the mind and the heart uh, gets lost. So mindful, the original context of mindfulness is embedded in a path of awakening, in a path of liberation, to really yes. fully free oneself from suffering. Mm -hmm. And so yes, so mindfulness is being present, but it's being present in service of understanding, insight, freedom, non-reactivity, finding peace in the midst of our lives, ourselves, the world. And so that's why I wrote the book in order to sort of try to bring back some of the depth of the, and the potential of the practice. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which really, you know, you mentioned that this has happened in, in yoga as well, and I would totally agree. And it's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, for being of this show, you know, to really expand people's, you know, understanding. I, um, when I talk with people about yoga and talk about this podcast, they'll often say, oh, I do yoga. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you're mostly doing it as a physical exercise, you know, for, for uh, you know, strength or flexibility or, you know, really losing that context of it, that it is for liberation. It is. Right. That's the whole purpose, you know, that it all started and that it's become so narrowly uh, defined in the United States, particularly, is, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's our challenge uh, to, you know, get the word out. There's a lot more there, you know, than just, uh, you know, a, um, flexibility. I mean, as as lovely as those benefits are, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, they're, you know, missing a huge uh, opportunity. If, uh, if that's all that they're seeing, you know, there. Right. So um, I, I really appreciated your focus in the book on many practices for non-attachment, seeing how our attachment to pleasant experiences itself becomes a cause of, of pain and suffering. Non-attachment is also an important practice in yoga, uh, which is, you know, mentioned in uh, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, Sutra 112, which recommends, you know, it as one of two key practices, two really, you know, central practices, you know, the steady practice of meditation and the practice of non-attachment. I really enjoyed the quote that you include from uh, William Blake about how we skillfully or unskillfully relate to pleasure and how we can be attached to a pleasurable experience. So the quote is, he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise i'm going to read it again just because it's so beautiful he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise so how does mindfulness practice help us to kiss our joy as it flies rather than trying to, you know, grasp or prolong it? Right. Yeah. So as that quote from Blake uh, suggests, 
you know, mindfulness, one of the lovely uh, effects of, of becoming more present is we notice beauty and joy and uh, the many things to appreciate in this world, in ourselves, in each other, and, and the beautiful earth that we live on. And so in a very simple way, mindfulness can help us be present so we can actually see and really be there for the sunrise or our children smiling as they come home from school or um, whatever beauty uh, there is to be had in the world. And it also instructs, you know, reveals how when we hold on, as Blake's pointing to, when we try to, you know, bind, grab on, attach, um, you know, to any pleasant experience. And of course we do that because it's, you know, we, we all oriented towards pleasure. We like pleasure and we want it to continue. But where the wisdom arises from the practice is we see that whenever we try to hold on or grab something, whether it's a person or experience, that very grasping, that very wanting, longing um, actually precludes the very possibility of enjoying it. So, for example, I just gave to my students yesterday, uh, we're on a nature retreat, and I noticed this for myself when I'm out a lot in nature. If I have a goal, say I want to hike to the top of the ridge, the top of the mountain, if I'm fixated on that goal, I pretty much miss out on appreciating all and every step of the way, all the grasses and the flowers and the butterflies or whatever might be there because I'm just fixated on the goal. So because my mind is gripped in a form of grasping attachment, tunnel vision. And so uh, mindfulness just helps reveal that process. It reveals when we hold on, like when we try to hold on to a person or a relationship or an experience that, you know, and this happens in meditation a lot. People, um, this came up yesterday with a student, uh, uh, someone's meditating, they feel some pleasure, some bliss, delight, and people get so excited that it's like, oh, great, quick, grab it, let's hold on. And of course, that very holding on actually will be the quickest thing to make that state disappear because that state arose out of relaxation, out of concentration, out of letting go. And so mindfulness helps us appreciate what's here and also not hold on to it because the very holding on actually pushes away the very thing that we're enjoying. Mm, indeed, indeed. And, and you can watch this. <laughs> you can mindfully watch this as it happens. And with that, we've come to the end of the first segment. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with our guest, Mark Coleman, author of the book we're discussing today, From Suffering to Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. Mark is the founder of the Mindfulness Institute and has an MA in clinical psychology. You can find out more about him, his books, and teaching schedule at markcoleman.org. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and when we come back from the break, we'll explore more about mindfulness for a peaceful heart and mind. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, celebrating diversity and inclusivity for Pride Month. We are one. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. 
Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment by Ed McShane, a coach for your heart. When we're not feeling well, we tend to eat healthfully. Sickness illuminates our appetites. We drink tea instead of coffee. We eat soup instead of bread. We consume honey instead of sugar. We turn down the music. We speak in low tones. We walk a little more deliberately. We rest as we're able, and we catch up on our reading. Why don't we live our lives like this all the time? Letting go, speaking softly, receding from the urgency of life, and eating more soup sounds like a life we want to live every day. Add some flowers, a nice quilt, and some eastern-facing windows, and you've got a great foundation for a peaceful life. Illness, in its own odd way, reintroduces us to the components of how we should live away from the noises and the stress that we so often overlook. This week, take a few hours to engage in all the behaviors that help you heal while you're sick. You'll reset your priorities from doing what you should do to doing what you need to do. To find out more about A Coach for Your Heart, visit acoachforyourheart.com. What if a handful of ordinary, conservative Americans agreed to visit Egypt and talk to some ordinary Muslims to ask their questions directly and compare their cultures and religions? See Hearts and Minds open up in the new documentary, Free Trip to Egypt, which chronicles their journey and reveals their insights into Muslims and themselves. Free Trip to Egypt will be screened in a thousand theaters on June 12th. Find a showing near you at freetriptoegypt.com. For over 23 years, Liz Dawn and her team at Celebrate Your Life have been presenting transformative events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers. Experience a Celebrate Your Life event for yourself, October 31st to November 4th in beautiful Sedona, Arizona. Explore your spirituality and open your mind to some new ideas. These events are awesome soul fests that heal and transform. Log on to CelebrateYourLife.com to find out more. Is life getting you down? Don't worry, choose happy. Join Dr. Marissa Pay every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central and get ready to shift your outlook. Dr. Marissa is an organizational psychologist and life balance coach who will help you to process the tough stuff. Get real-life strategies you can use today to experience more hope and happiness. Call in and join the live show or listen later on demand only on unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the show, and I'm here today with author and meditation teacher Mark Coleman. So um, right before the break, we were talking about uh, um, the you know, mindfulness um, practices that you know, really look at our attachment to pleasant experiences, which, as you said, is such a common you know, thing that we all want to do. We want that pleasure to last, and yet that wanting, that grasping is oftentimes what, you know, makes that, uh, that essence of that moment really dissipate, you know, more, more quickly. So um, in the book, you, you talk about your mantra of one less, 
So what do you mean by one less and how has this practice helped you in your own life? Yeah. So um, in the book, in various sections, but particularly in the body section, I am exploring paying attention to one of the characteristics of life, which is change and permanence, transience, that nothing lasts, that um, <clears throat> everything fades, um, no matter how beautiful or wonderful. Um, and uh, we all know that intellectually, of course, we know things changes, seasons come and go, weather comes and goes. But when it comes to ourselves, we tend to um, be more surprised when things change. Like we look in the mirror, as I did, and it's like, oh, I'm getting older. <laughs> like, that's right. <laughs> uh, or something breaks. Like, oh, how can that break? It's just not supposed to break. It's like, well, that's the nature of reality as it comes and goes. And um, and people sometimes first hear that and they think, oh, that's a bit depressing. You're focusing on things ending. It's like, well, it's actually just the truth. And if we that's live right. in harmony with that, it actually prepares us for when things change and and and. and pass away and also makes us appreciate what's here and so the one less practice um i came out of a reflection i was i was doing a death contemplation practice uh focused on the breath and focusing on the endings of experience which is a wonderful way to really feel the impermanence we tend to notice the arisings of things not the endings of things like a breath sensation and um as i was breathing the just those words came to me the inhale was one and then exhale was less one less every single thing that we do is one less time we will feel it see it sense it taste it experience it mm -hmm. so each breath that we take is one less breath we will have in this lifetime each each heartbeat is one less heartbeat each uh, full moon rising is one less full moon rise that we'll see or one less summer we'll see or whatever it is and so when we think about when we reflect on that <clears throat> we actually feel it it wakes us up to oh if that's true if, it, if, if this one less time i'm going to see this full moon or my beautiful friend or my grandchildren or whatever it is i'm going to make sure to be present i'm going to make sure to be really here for that experience because you know one can never know if one's going to have the good fortune of having that experience again and so it's a way of waking us up to the to the fragility, the transience, and also the preciousness of life and experience. Mm -hmm. No, especially that I was I was reflecting on that as you were speaking. You know, it it really, you know, it really makes it more precious. It, it makes us aware of the preciousness. You know that that um, that it is that the everything is changing and that we don't know. Yeah, no one knows you know, how much time we'll have, how many more uh, sunrises or, or sunsets you know we'll experience, and uh, it brings a, it brings that preciousness uh, more to the front, which uh, I, I appreciate about reflecting about that practice. So uh, one of the things I appreciate about your book is the way that you structured it with the four you know, sections. So you've got a section on uh, finding peace in the body, another finding peace in the mind, finding peace in the heart, and then you end with uh, finding peace in the, um, in the world. Um, and uh, so I wanted to try and take, you know, one practice from each uh, section that we could talk to talk about. So for the finding peace in the body, we did the mirror, you know, the mirror practice. And then there were so many great practices that you shared in the section, finding peace in the mind. It's really hard for me to choose which one to discuss. But let's talk about shining the light on views and beliefs, which is from finding peace in the mind. So why do you think it's important for us to become aware of our views and beliefs? 
Yeah, well, um, you know, we, we only need to look at the political uh, circus that's happening um, globally, not just in the, in, in the United States. And we see how polarized society is becoming, um, people are becoming, nation states are becoming, political parties are becoming, and it's on both sides of the spectrum. Um, and people are entrenched, entrenched and attached to their views. And so when we, when we dig in our heels, saying our view, our position is right, then we're, we, we become unable to listen and to accommodate another perspective, another point of view. And, and as if we analyze our own views and opinions and we look at those historically, we can see how we've held, held onto and believed all kinds of things, views, ideas that now, many years later, we go, oh, yeah, that was really limited or actually that was really erroneous and that was not very helpful or useful or correct perspective. And so um, what, what meditation, mindfulness practice helps us do is hold things lightly. Right? It's not that we discount our views because we may have many, you know, uh, perspectives and, 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 and ideas coming from my direct experience that, that are very accurate and helpful. But when we attach to them, then we create identification uh, we create a sense of self, we create a sense of otherness, we create opposition, and we get into uh, disputes, fights, uh, you know, and that lead in that we can magnify what happens on a micro level in our own mind to, you know, religious wars and political wars and, um, you know, blaming immigrants or blaming uh, other people for you know one's problems, and so it can it, the views historically, especially uh, religious views, have led to tremendous amount of pain, warfare, oppression, and so we need to both hold our views lightly and also to reflect on their accuracy and often and mm -hmm. seeing perhaps the limitation of our own perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great, really great practice. I was just thinking as you spoke. It, um, I'm a physician by training and uh, now retired, but, um, you know, the, the uh, uh, examples of the many things that we were absolutely sure about in medicine that turned out not to be the case is, is really quite remarkable, you know, so we used to right. think, you know, ulcers 100%, you know, were related to stress, and then lo and behold, it's actually a bacterial infection, you know, which was a real shocker. Wow. <laughs> you know, I didn't, many, I didn't know many people. Thanks for yeah. relieving yeah. me from that view. <laughs> So uh, uh, anyway, you give a lot of um, great mindfulness practices that aren't all uh, related to the meditation piece. And one of the reasons I chose this is you encourage people to write. Um, and so can you explain that practice to us a little bit? What, you know, how can we write, you know, about our views and how, uh, how can we use that in our study? Yeah. So um, as you, as you point to, um, the, we, often through meditation, it's more of an introspective inquiry. Um, but sometimes writing, journaling is a very good way for unpacking things that are sort of in our mind that we hold, but we may not be so clear about. So there's a, there's something about the art of, especially handwriting, um, allows us to be basically sort of pull out what's inside to uh, and to look at it on the page when we when we read what we write we bring much more discerning attention than we do to the, all the voices in our mind and this is particularly true of the inner critic like we have a lot of views and judgments about ourselves from our judging mind if we write them out the views of you know our you know 
health or our body or our capacity, you know, we often see how distorted and inaccurate there are. So um, what I suggest is that you um, find a topic or an area that you want to explore and just start writing out what kind of views, what kind of ideas, what kind of perspectives, perspectives do I have? And then bring an inquiry process to them. Well, is this true? How can I know that this is true? What, 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 what payoffs do I get for holding this belief? What might be the limitations of this perspective? How could I hold an opposing point of view? There's a, another place in the book where I talk about this, this quote from a Zen master, Bankai, where he says the instruction, don't side with yourself, which is mm. a beautiful sort of a koan. It's kind of a riddle of what does it mean not to side with yourself, which means to, you know, you might have your views and opinions and perspectives, and what's it like to not be so entrenched in them that you can't see another person's or another perspective and uh, point of view? And, mm. and so I think it was Aristotle who said the sign of an enlightened mind is, is a mind that can hold an opposing view um, with, with ease, with lightness. That's mm. <laughs> mm. ah, so, so very wise. So um, as I mentioned, there's another section, uh, Finding Peace in the Heart. And there's a chapter there, uh, Delighting in the Joys of Others. So this is also a recommended practice from yoga. Uh, Rayu Jean Davis's translation of the Yoga Sutras uh, 133 uh, states, the mind is purified by cultivating thoughts and feelings of friendship for others, compassion for those who are suffering, happiness for the well-being that others enjoy, and dispassion regarding what is observed. It's a lot there. So uh, delighting in the joys of others, how does this practice, delighting in the joys of others, help us to find more peace in ourselves? Right. So this is one of my favorite uh, uh, aspects of Buddhist teaching, this quality of mudita, which means appreciating and rejoicing in the happiness of others. So generally, from an egocentric perspective, when someone's very successful or someone very happy and has seems to have everything uh, in life that perhaps we don't, our, our, our most common response is not, oh, how great for you. It's more like, oh, what about me? Or if you're so happy, there's going to be less for me. Or that, that promotion and that lottery ticket was just about to come for me and you stole it. And suddenly we oh. feel green with envy. We feel jealous. We feel deficient. We feel not good enough. We feel judgy of them. And that's very painful. And of course, we're always surrounded by people they're doing well or you know happy or successful we see strangers in the street you know being happy and and if we can have that capacity and practice to remember to rejoice and celebrate and appreciate the happiness of others then of course what that does is bring happiness in ourselves so the, the line that i quote in the book um, from his holiness the Dalai lama is by cultivating mudita this quality of celebrating the joys of others, we increase our chances of happiness by 7 billion to 1. Right? Mm -hmm. It's all around us. There's always, you know, there's, as well as the challenges in life, there's people who are doing well, they're successful, get promoted, have a new partner, you know, children playing in the park, strangers meeting or family meeting at the airport. It's one of my favorite places to practice this quality where there's this kind of joy, people are seeing each other for, after a long time of absence. And so we can, when we remember to, to cultivate this practice. And the simple practice, this phrase of this is, you know, I rejoice in your happiness. May your happiness and good fortune continue. And so when we, when we say that over and over, 
when we're with people who are doing well or happy or successful, it slowly starts to turn uh, the habit of envy into gratitude, appreciation, which is a beautiful quality of heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautiful practice. Um, so, you know, let's just you know, dwell a moment more, you know, and so you're sitting there and your intention is to, you know, to develop this practice of, you know, joyfulness for others. And then these feelings do arise that you mentioned, you know, jealousy or mm. envy, you know, so mm. what's a, what's a meditator to do? <laughs> right. Well, a meditator to do is to feel the feelings, right? So right. mindfulness, the first point of call is acknowledge what's happening. Okay. So here's my friend. They just got this amazing job offer and and lots of money and great you know career prospects oh well i want that for myself that's a drag i wish i had that and we feel the comparison or we feel the longing or we feel the jealousy and we feel actually how painful that is like here's our friend getting this great thing that we actually wish for them on a, on some level in our hearts mm-hmm. and and yeah we're sort of contracting in our sort of egoic self-centeredness so we feel the pain of that. Hopefully we feel some compassion for the painfulness of our own comparison or envy. And then once we process that a little bit, then we go, okay, that's true. And can I find a place in myself that at least intellectually is, is appreciates their happiness? I might not be able to gush with full-blown joy for them, but I might go, okay, well, I wish I had that too, but, you know, good for you. I'm happy, for, I'm, you know. You know, I, I celebrate your good fortune. I celebrate the good work that you put in to get that job, that promotion or whatever it is. And so we start with acknowledging where we are and, and saying and, and trying to orient towards some way we can feel some sense of appreciation or support or, or happiness for them. And then, you know, we meet ourselves as we are. And, and we so we just, you know, uh, adding drop by drop a little movement towards appreciation and and happiness for them um and over time that that ability grows particularly when we see how suffering it is to be caught in the envy and the comparison mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes absolutely those were that's uh those are some great tips um, so we've talked about um, three of the four sections. We did the, um, you know, the mirror practice for uh, finding peace in the body. We talked about exploring your views and being able to, you know, develop the capacity of uh, holding another, you know, the opposite viewpoint in uh, finding peace in the mind. And then we've just been talking about, you know, delighting in the joys of others for the peace in the heart. So in the section where you talk about finding peace in the world, you discuss the practice of generosity. Mm-hmm. So how do you think the practice of generosity helps us to find peace in the world? Yeah. Well, I love your questions because we're, we're orienting definitely to the, the beautiful qualities that, that mindfulness and, and, and meditation can bring. Um, so generosity is another one of those beautiful qualities of the heart that we all innately have. And as with any spiritual practice, yoga, Buddhism or whatever, there's the understanding that we, you know, we have this basic fabric of our, you know, what we come in with in this life, our conditioning, our karma, whatever. And we all have the capacity to grow, to develop. And this is very true with generosity. Um, when I first learned about generosity as, as a spiritual practice in, in, from my Buddhist teachers, um, 
it was something that really spoke to me of, oh, when, we, when we're generous, when we're extending beyond ourselves, when we're letting go of our narrow self-concern and taking in others and thinking of others and acting uh, for their welfare, um, it's one of those qualities, just like uh, appreciative joy, it's a win-win. When we're generous, you know, the happiness centers in our brain light up. We feel mm. connected. Um, we feel empathic. Um, and, and, you know, we're evolutionarily hardwired to generally feel positive about sharing and giving because that's how we've survived and evolved as a species. And so, um, again, uh, sometimes we might not feel generous. We might feel stingy. We might feel scarce. We might feel deficient. We might feel we don't have enough. And so all of those states are very painful egoic states. And um, when we realize, when we reflect on, one, how much we, we, we all have, we, we're given to in so many ways by the earth, by our families, by nature, um, et cetera, um, we can actually tune into a sense of, oh, actually, I do have plenty. And there's many things that we can give. We can give, you know, one of the beautiful things that comes out of uh, mindfulness practice is we cultivate attention and presence. And we can give the gift of our presence. We live in a society of talkers, not listeners. And yeah, so everybody... true, so true. <laughs> and so, with our meditation practice, we can oh. we can be generous with our attention. And and you know, you know, when we when we're checking out at the supermarket or at the bank or the post office or in the coffee store, we can actually, or to our family, our spouse, to our children, we can actually get, be generous with our attention, listening, hearing people. People that we're, we're living in a culture of uh, where real life connection is becoming a precious commodity, a precious resource, because everything's mm -hmm. online. And so, you know, so cultivating generosity and seeing that when we give something, whether it's our attention, our time, our resources, our skills, it creates a sense of well-being in ourselves, and of course, generally creates well-being for others. And so, it's a, it's one of those qualities and capacities we all can do um, that really support our well-being and, and genuine happiness. Mm. Yeah, it's just a really lovely, um, you know, lovely uh, way of putting it. So, of course, in yoga, you know, uh, karma yoga is, is um, selfless service, so, you know, giving to others. And, um, and, you know, it's a whole, you know, one of the four main branches, you know, of, of uh, yoga and comes from this, you know, the root of yoga of, of seeing us all as one, you know, really, you know, we are all, you know, one. And um, that uh, looking at that generosity, you know, practice um, that um, uh, I think that's one of the reasons it just feels so good. You know, it's, uh, um, you know, re, you know, it's reinforcing that feeling of oneness, you know, that we that we all have, you know, together. Some of the um, other practices uh, in the section of, um, you know, finding peace in the world are to look at all of the, um, all of the connections of things that come to us, you know, so for example, you know, appreciate food, but appreciate food in the way of, you know, really realizing that, um, you know, this uh, food came to us from, you know, from the earth, from the sun, from the people who planted it, you know, from the people who cared for the crops, you know, pulled the weeds, watered, you know, from the people who then harvested, you know, took it to the market um, for us to be able to then go, you know, and buy it, you know, and again, feeling ourselves part of this huge web, you know, of connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it, you know <clears throat> we can 
it just takes a little reflection, like yeah, eating, eating your salad to appreciate all of the pollinating insects and the bees and the farmers and the gardeners and the truck drivers. And when we start to reflect in that way, we see, oh, I'm actually intimately connected with so much of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just eating my sandwich. <laughs> Indeed. What what a great uh, remedy for feelings of loneliness, you know, to right. feel so cared for, you yes. know, of how this sandwich came to us. Yeah. Right. So we've only got about uh, two more minutes uh, left. And um, I wanted to give you the chance to have, you know, the last words. So in closing, what, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the takeaways that I hope people feel from, from the book and the practice of mindfulness is knowing that this quality of mindfulness is innate. We, we all have the capacity to be aware, to pay attention, and that we can all also cultivate and train it through meditation, through yoga, through mindfulness practices, through breath, through embodiment, uh, and just through paying attention to your moment-to-moment experience. And in that knowing that that awareness will eventually grow the quality of self-awareness, self-understanding, and help us understand how to free ourselves from what causes us pain and how to cultivate that which brings joy and happiness. Mm, That's lovely. So if someone is listening and doesn't have a practice, what's the one tip in a minute that you could give them about where to start? I would uh, begin, as most practices do, with just simply being aware of the breath. You know, as you're listening, being aware of the breath. As you're lying in bed, being aware of your breath. Taking three to five to ten conscious slow breaths throughout the day is one way to quickly arouse the quality of mindful attention that's available to anybody anywhere. Mm, indeed, and. The breath is wonderful because uh, we never forget it. We never forget to bring it with us. (laughs) It's not something that we leave at home behind us. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, your breath, you know, is with you. And it is something that we can uh, bring our focus and attention to. So, uh, Mark, um, with that, we've come to the end of the show. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of The Yoga Hour. We've been discussing mindfulness for peaceful hearts and minds with Mark Coleman, meditation teacher and author of the book we've been discussing today, From Suffering to Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. You can find out more about Mark Coleman, his books, and teaching schedule at his website, markcoleman.org. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining me today on The Yoga Hour. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I know that uh, you have uh, somewhere else you need to be right at nine. So I'm going to go ahead and say goodbye and have you sign off. Thank you. Take good care. All right. You too. Now, a few announcements. Yogacharya O'Brien will be offering a Kriya Yoga retreat at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California from July 25th to 27th, 2019. She's offering several programs in Oregon, in, also in July, and a retreat at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, from August 11th to 14th, titled Live Your Abundant Life Now. You can find out more about the upcoming events this fall in Raleigh, North Carolina, and in Italy. Yogacharya's speaking schedule is on her author website, ellengraceobrien.com. Join us next week on June 20th, 
when I welcome Anne Cushman, author of the book, The Mama Sutras, for a discussion about how the joys and sorrows of parenthood are not separate from the spiritual path, but are the path itself. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious fulfilled living in today's world. And you can check out the programs at the website csecenter.org. There are online programs as well. So even if you're not near San Jose, there's lots of things that are available to you. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend about it. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producer, Anne Hayes, CSE's global media outreach manager, Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 